You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be playing matchmaker for the UFC's 155-pound and 185-pound divisions, the top 15 athletes in each division, who they should fight next, and why, as well as going over some recent fight announcements in the UFC, including the return of no love Cody Garbrandt on June 6th for UFC 250. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? Um, I hope you guys are having a good day. And uh, I hope that this podcast today can take your mind off of everything that's going on right now. But, uh, yeah, we got a lot to cover. I There was going to be some WWE and uh, other professional wrestling stuff on here. But I figured that these matchmaker episodes are a lot of fun. You know, taking the top 15 to 25 guys in a division and explaining why they should fight, you know, somebody ranked in the top 15 or who explaining who they should fight next and why I uh, that, you know, that's really fun for me. And I think that fans really like that stuff. I think they like to, uh, they like to figure out why people should fight the next person in their division and why the fights make sense. And, you know, why these fights, so-called fights that we're proposing would be, you know, acceptable or exciting for the fans to watch. Um, obviously we all know UFC 249 is going to be taking place on uh, May 9th. So we've got about two weeks until, uh, that fight card goes through. So, uh, I'm excited for that. And I hope that everything goes off without a hitch. I hope that it does actually happen. It looks like it's going to happen because it's going to be taking place in Florida. And, uh, actually let's go into some other news before we get into the matchmaking for the lightweight and middleweight divisions. Um, let's start off with Dana White's announcement that the UFC is going to be back with three events in one week. One on May 9th, which is UFC 249. One on that following Wednesday, which is May 13th, which is going to be main evented by a light heavyweight clash between Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira. And then one on May 16th, which is going to be headlined by a heavyweight fight between Alistair Overeem and the big ticket, Walt Harris. Um, this is great. I'm glad that they're going with three events in a week. Yes, that's a lot of fights, but we haven't had fights in over a month. So it's it's a lot to uh it's a lot to uh cover. You have to make up for a lot of time. So being able being that these three fights are gonna be three in a week and uh, they're all gonna be taking place in Florida. And then Dana White also said that it looks like the Fight Island is going to be ready by June. He said that it should be up and running and ready to run events by the month of June. So hopefully, you know, everything goes off on that. And then we can have international fighters fly into Fight Island, um, make sure they're all tested, get the correct testing and correct precautions, make sure nobody has COVID-19, and then move on from there. He did say it will be an octagon on the beach, which I think is amazing. I think that's going to be so cool to watch, to see. Uh, I, it's going to remind me a lot of like Mortal Kombat. I know a lot of people have said this before, um, you know, but the, but having, you know, the cage fights on the beach. And I think that's going to be really cool and a really cool atmosphere. Even without the audience, it's still going to be cool to have the octagon on the beach. So, uh, and he said that there will be training facilities there. So he's going to fly fighters in internationally to this island, um, give them enough time, you know, fly them out quick enough to get some extra training in and everything so they can get ready and then go ahead with the fight. So that should be cool. And uh, one thing I'd like to know is the, is how are the weigh-ins going to be done? Because, you know, if you can only have so many people in a room, obviously, you know, the media isn't going to be able to cover the weigh-ins. 
as effectively because you can't have more than I believe it's more than 10 people in a gathering. Um, but how are the weigh-ins going to be done? You know, is it going to be a small room with a scale, one person to check the scale, the fighter, and then they leave? I mean, I would guess that's what they're going to do, or maybe Dana White, a fighter, and then the, uh, commission to check the weight that that seems like that's how they would do it. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how the weigh-ins are going to play out. If there's going to be any media leading up to May 9th, like, well, there, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interviews because obviously you don't have to be there in person to do interviews. But I think that, uh, I think that that's probably going to be a big thing is there's going to be a lot of interviews coming out, you know, the week of May 9th and, uh, obviously before that and leading up to the fights. But, uh, yeah, so obviously, like I said, Anthony Smith, Smith and Glover Teixeira and then Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris, those fights were already booked. I believe Overeem versus Walt Harris was booked for the UFC Fight Night Columbus event, and then Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira was booked for, I want to say, April 25th? I want, Yeah, I think that was what it was. I think it was April 18th was going to be UFC 249, and then April 25th was going to be Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira, and then Overeem versus Walt Harris, I want to say, was for the uh, UFC Fight Night Columbus card. Um, we can actually look that up because I'm pretty sure it'll give me the dates of when these fights were supposed to happen. Let's check that out. Um, let's see. Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira. Hold on one second, guys. Um, so it looks like April 25th. Yeah, I was right. So April 25th was when it was supposed to be, and that was going to be in Nebraska. And then Overeem versus Walt Harris. I want to say it was the following card or it was the UFC Columbus card Overeem versus, let's see. So Overeem versus Walt Harris was looking like it was going to be on April 11th. Okay, yeah, it was the Portland event. That was it. That was it, right. And I think the Portland event was going to have that fight. I believe it was going to have Vicente Luque versus Randy Brown. And um, a couple other good fights were, were you know set up for that card. But either way, we're getting them back. And uh, it's good that they're not going to throw these guys out who already previously had fights booked. And you're not just throwing them out to the side and bringing in new guys. You know, I think Smith deserves a little bit of a higher ranked opponent than Glover Teixeira. Not to say Glover Teixeira isn't a great fighter. He's very good. Um, he's fought John Jones just like Anthony Smith has. Um, fought Alexander Gustafson. But I thought I think Smith deserves a little bit of a higher ranked opponent. Um, let's actually check the light heavyweight rankings really quick. And uh, we can figure out what um, where these guys are ranked in terms of the heavy, uh, light heavyweight division. And if they would get a shot at either, you know, Tiago Santos is probably is really high ranked in that division. You've got Dominic Reyes, who's probably going to get the next title shot against John Jones. Uh, let's see really quick. So let's go to light heavyweight. So Glover Teixeira is ranked eighth and Anthony Smith is ranked three. Like the fight does make sense in terms of ranking, but I figured Anthony Smith would get a higher ranked opponent. I think if Jones is going to be gone for a little while and you're not going to get Reyes versus John Jones, I, I think that, uh, Jan Blahovich and John Jones have had a little bit of back and forth on uh, Twitter and on other social media platforms saying that, you know, 
since he knocked out Corey Anderson with that beautifully timed um, overhand and dropped him as he went to throw a leg kick and finished him off. Blahovich said, uh, Jones said that he proved to him that uh, he deserved the next title shot. I think Dominic Reyes deserves a rematch in that fight all day. I did think that he beat John Jones pretty convincingly. I thought it was three rounds to two. You could have maybe argued four rounds to one, but I think uh, Jones kind of picked it up towards the end of the fight, but I still gave the fight to Dominic Reyes without a doubt. But, uh, you know, in terms of the rankings, I think if you're going to not give Dominic Reyes, let's say they do Jones versus Blahovich. Um, I think that the next best option for that would be uh, Dominic Reyes versus Tiago Santos. And then maybe you would take Anthony Smith and have him fight. I mean, obviously he's getting Glover Teixeira. Um, he beat Glover. I mean, you know what? The fight does kind of make sense because everybody's probably tied up. If Reyes was to get Jones next, um, I think that uh, Santos versus Smith would have been a great fight. Number two versus number three. It would have been a rematch because they did previously fight at 185 pounds and Tiago Santos ended up beating um, Anthony Smith with a body shot. But I think at light heavyweight, the fight would be a completely different story. And then, um, yeah, you could give... Uh, I mean, there, there's just... The fight makes sense. It's not the best fight for Anthony Smith, but it's not the worst in terms of divisional rankings. So, you know, it's a good matchup. And I'm excited to see how these cards play, uh, pan out. I think that since we're so backlogged on fights, I mean, you look at 249 and how stacked that card is. It's probably the most the most stacked card we've ever gotten, in my opinion. It's up there in the, the top five most stacked. It might be the number one, honestly. Like I said, in my opinion, it's probably the number one most stacked card in the UFC since it's been around. But I think that all these cards coming up are going to be extremely stacked. And I think that the international cards are going to be the ones you're going to want to look out for. The ones that do take place on Fight Island, those are going to probably have the bigger matchups because the, the Dana is going to be able to fly in people from all around the world. You know, a lot of the times since these fights are taking place in Florida, you have to take people who can, uh, Come who are already in the U.S. You can't really get people who are outside of the U.S. to uh, come in and fly right now unless, you know, Dana White does the private jet and uh, flies them into the international fights for, on the island, That's which is, which is why he brought up Fight Island to begin with. He did say, however, that after this whole coronavirus pandemic slows down, it does, uh, Fight Island is probably going to get retired and we're never going to see it again. So, you know what, guys, just appreciate the fact that Dana White is going to be putting on fights for us. You know, there's nothing else right now in terms of sports and entertainment besides the WWE. Um, thank, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm thankful that that's what we cover on this podcast because, you know, for people who cover basketball and football and baseball, you know, none of that's going on right now because, you know, you can't have team sports, but you can have fights and you can have professional wrestling. So we're going to keep, like I said, we, we're going to keep the podcast rolling. And uh, I can't wait to get more fight cards announced. Obviously, like I said, we've got two main events for the week of fights, like I just mentioned previously. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it. You know, Overeem and Wall Harris is a really good fight as well for the heavyweight division, which is going to be the main event on May 16th. It was previously going to be Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier. I'm guessing that's probably going to get moved to the June card. Maybe UFC 250, if that takes place on Fight Island on uh, June 6th, which would be, uh, it was going to be 251, but obviously it's, it's UFC 250 now. But I think that that would most likely take place at UFC 250 aside 
um, alongside another fight, which has recently got announced that it is in the works. It was uh, previously scheduled for UFC Fight Night in Columbus, Ohio on March 28th, and that is a bantamweight fight between the former bantamweight champion of the world, Cody Nolove Garbrandt, and the number five ranked, I believe, Rafaela Sunsau. And that is, like I said, in works in the works for June 6th at UFC 250. I've talked about this fight before. I love this fight. I love everything about this fight. You know, a Sun Sao is on a little bit of a downward spiral, as is Cody Nolove Garbrandt. But uh, let's look just look at the divisional rankings for bantamweight. I believe Cody's ranked nine and uh, a Sun Sao's ranked five. You know, it's a tough fight for both guys. I think you look at a guy like Cody Garbrandt, and if you listen to the interview he did on ESPN MMA, he talked about how you know, obviously he had the kidney issues, which caused him to pull out of the fight at UFC Fight Night Columbus, which eventually ended up not happening. But I think that a Sun Sao is, is a tough matchup for Cody, but I also think Cody's a tough matchup for a Sun Sao. This is just really, really solid matchmaking for that bantamweight division. And, uh, and, you know, Cody is working with Mark Henry now out of uh, New Jersey. And it looks like he is going to be uh, he's going to be working with him for the foreseeable future. Still working with Team Alpha Male, but but also working alongside Mark Henry, who also trains guys like Corey Anderson, Magic Marlon Moraes, and Frankie Edgar. And I think that that Frankie Edgar type of style would work wonders for Cody Nolove Garbrandt. And I think that he and he said that in the interview. Um, I'm not going to quote him specifically because I don't have the quotes. Uh, you know, memorized or anything of specifically what he said, but it basically was, you know, Mark Henry's style of pad work and, and training and, you know, moving and cutting angles works perfectly with Cody Nolove Garbrandt's type of style. You know, Garbrandt likes to be a little flashy, but when he does fight technical, you see how good he looked against Dominic Cruz at UFC 207, how easily he was able to uh, evade the shots and switch stances and use very, very slick head movement. And uh, if he gets back to that type of style, you know, he said he doesn't believe anybody can beat him. And I believe if he gets back to that light on the feet, in and out, switching stances, you know, slipping and rolling shots, I think that that is a big factor for Cody Nolove Garbrandt. And, you know, his biggest enemy is himself and uh, his emotions in this fight. You know, if he gets hit and he gets cracked, he likes to come back and get it back right away. And he said that in the interview as well. He likes to get it back right away, come back and try to take your head off. And that you know, leaves him open because it's wide shots. And that's how he ended up, ended up getting countered in the uh, second Dillashaw fight and how he ended up costing himself the Pedro Munoz fight. Obviously the Munoz fight, a uh, headbutt played a factor in that he said, and you could clearly see it on the replay, but you know, if Cody is just able to relax, breathe and let the fight come to him and play that, um, keep it at range and play that light on the feet countering, you know, in and out bah, 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 combination type of striking and type of fight. Um, I don't think anybody can beat him or very, very few people are going to be able to beat him in that 135 pound bantamweight division. We obviously talked about him wanting to move down to uh, 125 pounds. Doesn't look like that's going to be the case. I mean, he hasn't said no, but you know, he said he wanted to fight a Sun Tzu and then see what happened, and he moved down to 125. If he can make the weight and uh, do it, you know, and do it to the best of his ability and still remain healthy and be able to compete to the best of his ability, then I don't see any problem with it. But, I mean, judging on how TJ looked dropping all that weight, obviously he, you know, took the scientific approach, and it still, you know, wasn't that great. He felt very, you know, 
very sluggish and just drawn out and beat down. And if you look at pictures of him in that cut down to 125, I mean, he looked like a skeleton. If I could put it up, if I get this up on YouTube, I'll throw up a picture on the uh, over the audio and show you what Dillashaw looked like. But, you know, like I said, I love this fight for both guys. A Sun Sao is a dangerous fight for Cody, just as Cody's a dangerous fight for a Sun Sao. Um, I do believe if he fights with that light on the feet style in and out, you know, movement that does play a little bit into the game of a Sun Sao because a Sun Sao is a very patient striker on the feet. He likes to uh, kind of land some land some good shots and then get out of range, land some good shots and get out of range in and out. Um Likes to go to the grappling. I don't see him trying to grapple, use a grapple style, grapple heavy style of approach against a guy like No Love because of his decorated wrestling background. Um, I could see No Love trying to mix up the takedowns um, and the striking. I think that would be the best option for him against a guy like a Sun Sao who does kind of use, who does wing his shots. He does throw a lot of power. He has a lot of power in his shots. And if he cracks Cody on the chin, he can put him to sleep. But if Cody's going to, you know, since he's working with Mark Henry, as we've already mentioned, if he's able to get back to that light on the feet in and out counter striking and, you know, you know, landing the shots and getting out of range as quickly as possible, I think he can piece up Rafael Asuncao. He's going to have to be wary of the shots of Asuncao, like the overhand right, the left hook and uh, the kicks to the body. But I think that he's very quick. I believe he has a definite speed advantage over Sun Tso, even though it's it, Sun Tso is very fast. I do believe that Cody is one of the fastest guys in the UFC and definitely one of the fastest fighters in the bantamweight division in terms of uh, hand speed and head movement if he's able to get back to that light on the feet style. But yeah, this fight's amazing, and I do hope that it does get rebooked, and I hope Cody Garbrandt can uh, come back to what we know he can be, um, which is one of the best in the bantamweight division, and eventually go after that bantamweight championship again. If he does decide to uh, go down to 125, you know, if he can make it healthy, like I said, and uh, fight to the best of his ability, I'm all for it. Um, I would recommend staying at 135, but obviously, you know, it's not my decision, it's his. And anywhere he wants to go, if he can do it healthy and, uh, you know, perform well, then I'm, I'm all for it. Now let's get to the bread and butter you know, the, the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is the matchmaker edition, the matchmaker segment. And we're going to start off with the best fights to make for the top 15 guys at 155 pounds in the lightweight division. Um, let's just go through the top 15 rankings at first. Um, we got the champion, Habib Nurmagomedov, obviously undefeated, I believe 28-0. We've got the number one ranked Tony El Kukui Ferguson, who goes up against the number four ranked Justin Highlight Gaethje on May 9th for the interim lightweight championship of the world. You've got the number two ranked Dustin the Diamond Poirier. You've got the number three ranked notorious Conor McGregor. Um, like I said already, Justin Gaethje is ranked number four. Number five, you have Dan the Hangman Hooker. At number six, you have Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who is going to be fighting at UFC 249 as well, but he's going to be fighting at 170 pounds in a rematch against Anthony Showtime Pettis. So he is actually not factored into my matchmaking in the 155 division. I took him out because he's already got a fight booked at 170 with Anthony Showtime Pettis. Um, at number seven, you have Paul the Irish Dragon Felder, who was going to retire, but he went back on the announcement and said that he's he wants to come back um, around the summertime, maybe, you know, June, July, somewhere around there and uh, come back and get cracking with another fight. Um, at number eight, we've got um, Charles Dubronx Oliveira, who's coming off a very impressive submission win over Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee. At number nine, we have Raging Al Iaquinta. At number 10, we have the Motown Phenom Kevin Lee. 
At number 11, we have Edson Jr. Barbosa. At number 12, we have Diego Ferreira. At number 13, we have the Greg we have Gregor the Gift Gillespie. At number 14, we have Islam Mahachev. And at number 15, we have Alexander Hernandez. Now, as I said, it was going to be the top 15 in the divisions, but I also added some guys who aren't ranked and how and who could factor into fights with these top 15 guys. And uh, the fighters I'm adding in that are not ranked are Benil Dariush. The newly minted 155 pound, I wouldn't call him a contender, but he made a statement when that is uh, Hanato Moicano, Brad Quake Riddell, Drew Dober, Drakkar Close, Michael the Menace Johnson, Mark Jacasey, Nasrat Hakparast, and Francisco Trinaldo. So all in all, I've got, what is it, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. So I've got 24 fighters, uh, 25, because you, you, the champion obviously isn't ranked 1 through 15. He is number 1, and then going down from the champion is 1 to 15. So it's 26 fighters all, all the way around, and uh, these are the fights I think that need to be made. Let's start it off with the first fight, which is obviously Habib versus the winner of Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje, which is number one versus number four. Um, the winner of this fight would fight Habib next, which is probably going to be around August or September. And uh, yeah, that just kind of explains itself. Whoever wins the interim title, just like how Poirier beat Holloway and then he fought Habib, this will be the same type of thing. Whoever wins between Ferguson and Gaethje will get Habib Nurmagomedov for the undisputed lightweight championship when he decides to make his return. Um, I've already explained who I believe is going to win Ferguson versus Gaethje. Um, if you haven't listened to that, definitely go to my last episode, which was episode 88 and listen to my full breakdown on the UFC 249 fight card prelims and all every fight broken down to the best of my ability, technical, um, advice and just how I think the fights will play out up next. I have the number three ranked Conor McGregor going up against the winner of Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. This is more than likely not going to happen because I'm sure that Conor's going to want to wait to get the winner of Habib versus either Ferguson or Gaethje. I wouldn't suspect him wanting to fight anybody else, but I think that it would be a good idea to get McGregor um, versus the winner of Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. Um, if the fight does get rebooked, I will do a prediction on that fight. I do expect it to get booked for June, so definitely look out for that. Um, this is a fan. That's a fantastic fight, and uh, I believe that it will get rebooked. I don't think Poirier is going to be fighting anybody else as long as Hooker can get into the same area as Poirier and they can have the fight, you know, ran officially. Then the fight's going to happen, and it's a fantastic fight. And uh, like I said on previous episodes, I'm leaning a little bit towards Poirier in that fight, but it's going to be a banger either way. I've heard people say they think that Hooker's going to be able to win that fight due to his ability to manage the distance and control the range with low kicks and his uh, lancing jab. But uh, honestly, I, I I broke it down on the previous episode, so go back and look for the Poirier and Hooker announcement episode, and you will see why I think... Uh, Poirier has a good advantage in that fight. That's all I'm going to say. So yeah, McGregor versus the winner. I'm leaning towards Poirier. So it would be number three ranked Connor McGregor versus the number two ranked, um, uh, Dustin, the diamond Poirier. Okay. Up next is, uh, the third fight in the top 15 of the division. I would have the number seven ranked Paul Felder versus the number eight ranked Charles Oliveira in a rematch. You know, Paul Felder and Charles Oliveira already faced each other at UFC 218, I believe, back in December of 2018. And uh, the fight went to went to the Irish Dragon, Paul Felder. He 
He had a very tough first round with Oliveira trying to wrap him up in a Darce choke, trying to get his back and get a rear naked choke, trying to lock up arm bars and just really controlling him on the ground. But Felder was able to stay patient and uh, defend all the submissions and then land some good ground and pound. And then when it got to the second round, um, Felder was able to land a vicious elbow over the top and guard. And, uh, it caused, you know, it hurt Charles Oliveira, you know, really bad. And uh, he tapped to the strikes, but then Felder, the ref didn't see it. So Felder just dropped bombs with those elbows and eventually got the finish. And I think that the rematch makes sense. You know, it's number seven versus number eight. Um, Felder said he wants a big fight. He wants fights that mean something. I originally had another fight booked on this car um, in my fights to make, but I changed it because I think that this fight would make, Felder a little more excited to take it. So I think uh, a rematch between Felder and Oliveira at this current point, um, almost three years later, would be um, the perfect fight for both guys. Up next, uh, the fourth fight that I want to make in the division is the number nine ranked Raging Al Iaquinta versus the number 11 ranked Edson Jr. Barbosa. You know, like I said previously on, on other episodes, it was thought that Edson Barbosa was going to move down to 145, and uh, maybe he still plans on doing that in the future, but it, I'm guessing he's going to stick uh, stick to 155, you know, during this pandemic. And uh, if he does decide to come back and fight, you know, soon, I would expect this to be the best fight to make for him. It's still, it, it's right inside that top 10, um, not number nine versus number 11 in the division. And uh, I think Iaquinta versus Barbosa would be a phenomenal fight. You know, Iaquinta doesn't quit. He goes out on his shield or he constantly tries to finish you. You know, he had a rough going against Donald Cowboy Cerrone, bounced back. I believe he bounced back against Kevin Lee, or maybe that fight was prior to the Cowboy fight. And then he lost to uh, Dan Hooker. And uh, he looked like he was a little bit outclassed in that fight, but he did land some good shots on Hooker, landed a good overhand right. Um, I believe he landed a good left hook and uh, was was definitely a gamer, but he got dropped in that fight. And uh, once he got dropped, it kind of just went towards Dan Hooker from then on out. Um, and the leg kicks were a big factor for Hooker against Iaquinta. The outside low calf kicks were uh, piecing up the lead leg of Iaquinta, which was causing him to not be able to push off as effectively with his shots. And uh, those that would be a thing that he would have to definitely address against a guy like Edson Jr. Barbosa, who has some of the cleanest kickboxing in all of mixed martial arts, some of the fastest kicks. I believe he has the fastest kicks in uh, MMA and in combat sports in general, I think him and Marlon Moraes have some of the quickest um, kicks to the leg, kick to the body, and kicks to the head. I think him and Barbosa are kind of neck and neck in terms of kick speed, but I think that uh, Iaquinta versus Barbosa would just be a phenomenal fight for the fans, and it makes sense in terms of the rankings. So uh, yeah, definitely give me this fight. Up next, the fifth fight I want to make in the division, it's going to be the number 10 ranked Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee versus the non-ranked Brad Quake Riddell out of city kickboxing. I think this is a perfect fight. Um, Brad Riddell's 2-0 in the UFC. Um, one win via decision over Jamie Malarkey. And then most recently, a win via decision over Magomed Mustafaev. Um, this would just be a good fight. You know, Kevin Lee's coming off a loss. He he obviously got that head kick knockout over Gregor Gillespie at UFC 244 in Madison Square Garden, but then he lost to Charles Dubronx Oliveira. So, you know, he's coming off a loss. Brad Waddell's 2-0. Um, I don't 
know if he technically deserves a top 10 opponent at this current point in time. Maybe give him a top 15 guy. But I think the UFC is high on Brad Quake Riddell. And, you know, judging on, you know, the resumes of everybody in the UFC who fights out of city kickboxing. I mean, you've got two champions and another top contender, which is uh, Israel Adesanya, who is the middleweight champion of the world. Alexander Volkanovsky, who is the featherweight champion. And then Dan the Hangman Hooker, who is the who is ranked, I believe, fifth in the uh, lightweight division. So obviously um, Riddell is in the same division as Dan Hooker, but he has talked about, he doesn't want to have to fight him, but I believe he said that if he has to, you know, then, then they'll have to do it, but you know, they're teammates, but I think that this is a perfect fight for both Kevin Lee and Brad Riddell. I think Lee might not be as, you know, giddy to jump and take that fight since it's a non-ranked opponent and it would take him out of the top 15. But I think that Brad Quake Riddell um, would definitely take a fight against Kevin Lee. I think it would be phenomenal. You know, Quake Riddell, Brad Riddell has some of the cleanest kickboxing um, we've seen in the UFC. I know a lot of people that kind of sleep on him because he's only had two fights in the UFC, but you know, his combination striking and his ability to land kicks to the legs and kick to the body. Um, there's no wind up on any of his shots and everything is just technically perfect or very, very solid technical striker. And uh, he's gotten better at defending takedowns. He does get taken down, but as you've seen with guys out of city kickboxing in uh, Auckland, New Zealand, he has the ability to uh, get back up to his feet and uh, stop takedowns if he needs to and just continue to push forward. So I think number 10, Kevin Lee versus Brad Quake Riddell is a perfect fight to make for the lightweight division. All right, guys, we're going to move to the second part of this episode. We're con we'll continue with the top fights to make for the top ranked fighters in the lightweight division. All right, guys.